Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Hello and welcome again to another edition of Lost in Science across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Uh, My name's Stu and on the show tonight I'm going to be looking at that most mercurial of elements. Well, it is the most mercurial because it's mercury. Uh, I can't think of anything that's got more mercury in mercury than than mercury, really, yeah. No, no, but not the planet, just just so people don't get confused. Mm -hmm, Because we did the planet recently on the show. It's actually the element mercury. So this this is is your In Your Element um, segment. In in Our Element, yes. Back in Our Element. And Chris, what have you got for us? Well, my story, it's, I don't know if it counts as news because I'm talking about the, the kind of the, the well-known link between sun exposure and melanoma. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in particular, it's just something that I saw shared on the social medias, a, you know, a link people sh- sitting around claiming to have busted the myth of their link between sun and melanoma. So that got my goat. So I'm going to I'm going to bust the myth of that particular myth. So yes, you're, it's kind of ironic. We're kind of nesting our myths here. Yeah, yeah. So, you're busting the myth of the myth. I'm busting the myth that there was any myth in the first place. Yeah. Okay. A near myth. On <laughs> with the show. Mercury is a bit of a curiosity as far as elements go, and it has actually been known since ancient times. And they've found uh, traces, well, actually sort of stockpiles almost, of mercury in Egyptian tombs that are over 3,500 years old. So Mm. people have sort of known about it for a little while. It's not not something you could say anyone discovered, or no one that we know their name anyway. Right. Um, But it's obvious why the element itself would have captured people's attention, as it's the only metal that is not are solid at what we consider normal temperatures and pressures on Earth. Uh, it has the atomic number 80, meaning it's got 80 protons and 80 electrons, and its actual melting point is almost 40 degrees below zero. So 40 degrees Celsius below zero. So uh, in order to get a solid uh, state, mercury would have to get pretty cold. And, and what's its boiling point then? Uh, it's about 300 and something Okay. Celsius. So it's liquid for a long time. Yeah, it's it's got yeah. a very wide range of liquidity. So it would also be would it also be the only element, pure element that is liquid at room temperature? Um, uh, yeah, possibly among the elements. Yeah. The other ones would be gases. Yeah, it? most yeah. of them are gases. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously there's a lot of compounds that are liquid. But mm. um, as far as elements go, certainly the only metal though, which is yep. why it. Yeah, you know, it looks amazing when you when you see mercury. Oh yeah, but don't play with it, kids. No, don't play with it. So um, under normal conditions, pure mercury looks kind of like liquid silver, and Aristotle called it that in Greek, which mm. the name is hydragirum. Hydragirum. Right. Uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but seeing as there's no ancient Greeks around anymore, um, they probably won't correct me. But this is where the chemical symbol HG. Originates. Ah. So the hydragirum uh, is liquid silver in ancient Greek. Um, and people commonly call it quicksilver. Right. Because the way it sort of moves around really, really quickly. Just like that guy's in those two movies. The, the two different guys in those two yeah, movies yeah, about yeah. mutants, yes. Um, 
who are apparently unrelated, but apparently also the same character. Um, and the name Mercury itself obviously refers to the Roman god, Mercury, mm-hmm. who was known for his speed. Yeah, but he was the messenger of the gods, I believe. He was the, um, the Roman equivalent of Hermes. Yeah, that's right. And he used, to, he used to yeah. uh, accompany people to uh, the, the afterlife, um, the underworld. Oh, was and, he? So uh, that would make him a, a psychopomp. Yes, and he also um, also was apparently it's one of my the favorite uh, words psychopomp. Apparently, the god of uh, economics. So the name Mercury may be related to the name for merchants oh, and uh, mercantile activities. Um, so Mercury also has a long history of being associated with magical properties. And ancient alchemists thought it was the progenitor of all metals, which you would, because it's the only metal they knew of that was a liquid. Um, okay. So they thought that if they fiddled around with it enough, they could make gold out of mercury. Uh, and, you know, according to atomic theory, you potentially could, but not the way they were doing it, um, by adding bits of sulfur and other things that they thought would change the, the mercury into other elements. Mm. Um, it's not the smartest thing to do, uh, because too much fiddling with mercury will most likely poison you. Um, including people who used a fair bit of mercury. So the milliners of the 19th century uh, used to play around with mercury a bit, and that's where Lewis Carroll got his famous Mad Hatter from. Oh, okay. So what did um, they use it for? Well, it's an interesting story about that, is that milliners or hat makers used to use urine to prepare animal skins before they'd remove the fur to make the felt, that okay. makes, you know, to make the hats. Um, and the preferred type of urine was camel urine. But to most people who were working as hat makers in Europe, that was a pretty unreasonable uh, ingredient to get hold of. So they used their own urine okay. for the process instead. Um, now, an early treatment of syphilis, which was quite a common STD, STI in those days, uh, involved the use of mercury chloride, which was only a partially successful treatment for the, uh, for the disease of syphilis. Um, when you consider what the effects of mercury are on the body, which I'm sure you'll get to. Yeah, well, uh, you know, if, if you go untreated with syphilis, you tend to go a little bit mentally unstable. Hence, if you also treat that with mercury, you tend to get quite a little bit unstable. Mm. But uh, somebody noticed that hatters who'd had this treatment made better felt because they were using their own urine. So the mercury was passing out through their urine and they made this high-quality felt. So rather than continue using the urine of syphilitic mercury-poisoned hatters, they actually shifted over to using mercury nitrate. So the nitrate that they were getting from the urine combined with the mercury that they'd added to the nitrate made high-quality felt. Oh, interesting. Um, but uh, that also, you know, that became the standard across the millinery industry uh, and the associated mental health issues followed closely behind um, until people realised that this was what was causing the Hatters to go mad and they sort of moved away from using that uh, mm. to other things. So it was actually by 1874 they had found alternatives to using uh, the mercury nitrate. So mercury is toxic, and it doesn't actually occur freely in its elemental form on Earth very much. It usually combines into various compounds in nature, such as mercuric sulfide, or what they call cinnabar, which is uh, the substance which people dig up and they find has mercury in it. That's its mm-hmm. most common source on Earth. And that cinnabar was actually used once as a form of makeup. So ancient, tri- uh, ancient people used to use that... Uh, as a kind of makeup, as it produces a brilliant red colour. Hmm. Um, but, of course, smearing that on your face is quite 
toxic because it contains a high level of mercury. So it probably wasn't all that good for people who wore the uh, cinnabar-based makeup mm. on their faces. But obviously the toxicity is pretty variable and um, in its most dangerous form is its water-soluble forms. So there's methyl mercury and mercuric chloride, which both can ac- accumulate in the body, which means that you build up a level of mercury within the body, which right. is toxic. And this is also bioaccumulation, which is, um, you know, this is how fish accumulate high levels of yeah. mercury in their bodies. So, so the ones at the top of the food chain end up with more mercury because they're eating... That's right, yeah. and, it, and it can build up to quite toxic levels for them and anyone who happens along to eat them. Um, so other compounds of mercury, like ethyl mercury, are flushed out of the body quite quickly. So low exposure is not usually a problem under most circumstances. But as with all chemicals, the dosage influences the toxic effect. So it's the amount of the substance and the extent of time of exposure. So if you get a small dose of it, which is flushed out of your body quite quickly, it doesn't build up to end up being a toxic um, problem. Um, We still use mercury in a number of modern applications. So obviously thermometers and barometers use mercury um, because of the liquid state of the mercury. It expands and contracts readily according to temperature changes and pressure changes. Mm-hmm. So it uh, can actually give us useful readings on those sorts of um, uh, instruments. Uh, it also conducts electricity, mercury. Uh, so you can make liquid switches out of it yeah. for certain electrical applications. So you know, anything which you wanted to, say, uh, switch off if it was tipped over, mercury mm. switches would be a great way to, you know, to achieve that. Apparently apparently years ago, I think, well, in the 90s, after the collapse of the Soviet Union, when there was a lot of, you know, um, what people were worrying about what happened to the nuclear weapons and things, there was a lot of illicit trade in, in weapons sort of material and, and, um, and technology. And one of the things was this something called red mercury that um, was supposedly this material that was essential to building a nuclear weapon. And um, it's believed that it didn't actually exist. It was just people colouring ordinary mercury with, with red nail polish. But it was the sort of thing that the entire trade in it was driven by investigative journalists who were trying to get a hands on this red mercury to show that there was this illicit trade going on. So, yeah. Wow. Um, I don't know what the point of that story is. It just does, doesn't perhaps have an important role in nuclear we- weapons. It was just <laughs> Not as up, important as we it think. It was just a made-up thing, essentially, yeah. Well, you know, maybe someone just misread the story, like the, you know, the Russians were were Soviets, so they were Reds. That's, that's another theory that it was, someone, yeah, it was called Red Mercury. the original yeah. paper. Yeah. Yeah, well, there you go. Um, so we do we do actually still use it for, for various applications. They also use mercury vapour in lighting, which can also be toxic, and that's actually being phased out in the EU as a lighting source. Um, though they do provide very efficient sources of UV light for certain applications. So, okay. um, you know where you need uh, UV light for sterilization and things in very small spaces for sterilizing instruments and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, also combines well with other metals to form amalgams. So a commonly used amalgam was mercury and silver, which used to be quite widely used uh, for dental fillings. Doesn't sound like a good idea. Well, probably wasn't a great idea. They don't tend to use it so much anymore mm-hmm. because uh, you know the, the mercury could potentially leak out over time. So they use other things instead mm-hmm. now. Now, look, if people are worried about mercury poisoning, um, I looked into what is uh, the most likely cause of exposure to mercury for most people and discovered it's actually coal-burning power stations. Oh. So 65% or so of environmental emissions of mercury are directly traceable to stationary coal-burning power stations making electricity. 
Are you suggesting that coal burning power stations might actually be hazardous for your health? Well, look, there's there's just one reason right there yeah, why yeah. why that yeah. could not you know that could be potentially a uh, a bad source of electricity. Maybe we need a um, a coal commissioner to keep an eye on this um, the health impacts of coal power. Some, someone could possibly look into the health impacts yeah. of of coal burning power stations. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. might be a useful way to spend yeah. time. Science, the final frontier. These are the voyages of Lost in Science, our ongoing mission to explain strange new words, to seek out new science and new explanations, to boldly go where no radio has gone before. Okay, yeah, you're listening to Lost in Science. My name is Chris, and I saw something shared on the, the social media the other day that, that, that got me a bit a bit annoyed. So I thought I would talk about it, even though it actually turns out the article itself is, is quite old. It is still doing the rounds at the moment. That, that is one of the things that I've noticed about uh, the internet and the rise of social media is yeah. that once something's out there, it just keeps resurfacing Pretty over much. and over again. Pretty it much. Goes, finds a different audience and starts all over again. Well, I guess that's why it's intriguing then when you get these things particularly that are um, kind of against science. Um, anti-science. Anti-science or, yeah, against scientific knowledge or pushing a particular barrier, what it is about them that appeals to people and gives them that longevity. So that's, I guess, something interesting to think about as, as you listen to this story is why is this, you know, appealing to people that they're, people in my circle are sharing it, I suppose, well, is the yeah. other thing, yes. Yeah. So anyway, look, the, the article itself um, has the provocative title of Scientists Blow the Lid on Cancer and Sunscreen Meth, um, and essentially claiming that uh, sunscreen will give you cancer because it stops you and getting vitamin D and that the lack of vitamin D is the real cause of, of cancer, not actual sunburn, as pretty much everyone else knows so, to be so, true. So not UV damage to DNA causing yeah, know, misshapen yeah. uh, cell growth. and Yeah. The, 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 the widely accepted reason for, for, That's right. for uh, skin cancer. That's right. And it is, you're right. It is widely accepted. And I, I would normally ignore, I guess, these kinds of um, you know, misinformation on social media. Mm. But this one got, got me kind of worked up because I suppose because it's a personal connection. Yeah. Um, my father had malignant melanoma and died of complications mm. um, from melanoma a, a couple of years ago. And, uh, you know, my ancestry is um, kind of very pale skin, sort of Northern European or Northern Irish, um, living in Queensland. Yeah, transplanted um, to one of the sunniest places Exactly. In the world. So yeah. I certainly have to be careful because I've got a good chance of, mm. of getting something like that. I have to get, really keep an eye on my, my skin as a result of that. Uh, so, yeah, look, it is, it is a personal thing. So I'm not. I couldn't just let this one let this one pass. Fair enough. So look, it, but it is an old. Actually, it turned out to be an old article. So the actual original article itself was on a couple of websites um, in July 2014. Okay. Um, originally started on a on the first of July 2014 on a US site called NaturalNews.com. Oh, I, I have heard of Natural News. Yeah, yeah, not in a good way, I'm sure. No, generally not. Yeah. Now the the author of that article. Um, is a bloke called Paul Fasser. He writes a, a lot of 
articles for various um, sort of alternative health websites, normally condemning Big Pharma and what he calls the the medical mafia. Uh, doesn't seem to be uh, a person, one of these people though, who's selling his own alternative products. He just seems to have a bit of a, a thing against um, conventional medicine. Uh, he is, I should point out, he is a germ theory denialist. So there is kind of a bit of the um, the yeah the anti science medicine stuff is kind of holds together in that sense. Mm, so so he thinks uh, old old Anthony Van Leeuwenhoek is uh, he doesn't making de- it up. Or? He doesn't deny that bacteria and viruses exist. He just thinks that they are caused by the disease. They're not the cause of disease. So there, there's apparently an old theory that they're essentially the blood cells can turn into things that look like bacteria when they when there is a disease in the body. And we that. actually do know that's not true. No, that is that is clearly not true. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I was saying he's not. So he's not a, a reputable person. So, mm. but he spun this all out from um, an article that was in the the Independent in the UK, um, which a newspaper was report, article. Yeah, a newspaper article, which was itself reporting on a scientific article that was published in May 2014, okay. and that article was published in the Journal of Internal Medicine, and its title is. Avoidance of sun exposure is a risk factor for all-cause mortality results from the melanoma in southern Sweden cohort. So, um, look, I guess, I guess the the thing there should be uh, that the, the, I guess the red flag is just in the title itself mm. that it says um, avoidance of sun exposure is risk factor for all-cause mortality. Yeah. So they weren't looking at the connection between skin cancer and um, sunscreen or sun exposure. They're just looking at all-cause. All causes. So, you know, that's straight away, I think that should be a, a flag that is not saying what he's thinks it's saying. No, clearly he's putting spin on what was, yeah. a, 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 well, presumably a, a decent scientific study. Yeah, and it was. It is a decent scientific study. So what this um, study was, it, um, it looked at nearly 30,000 Swedish women, so 29,518 Swedish women over a period of 20 years. So followed them, followed them up, um, you know, questionnaires, looking at the health and that sort of thing, and it found that those with the highest self-reported rate of seeking out sun exposure, this is those who sunbathe during summer and winter and on holidays abroad and also who use sunbeds, so those with the highest exposure, they were 47% less likely to have died from any cause than those who didn't do any of those. Interesting. So, yeah. Now, that is that is quite a, a big difference. Uh, now, so what this article is trying to do then is connect it to um, vitamin D um, because there is a lot of people that say, I think, believe that vitamin D has, is, has got a role in, well, prevention of various diseases, including heart disease. And, of course, we get vitamin, our body synthesizes vitamin D due to ultraviolet exposure from mm. the sun. Um, so, you know, that's kind of the thing they're pushing. I should say they didn't actually test vitamin D levels. So they're kind of, um, connecting the dots here. On so it is, and it is self-reporting too. And it's self-reporting on activity. Yeah. Now there are a few things to consider. Um, you know, when you look at all their statistics, you see that those who are out in the sun, who were regularly out in the sun also did more exercise, unsurprisingly, and were less likely to be overweight. Um, uh, but they did try to correct for that. And you still found that the, um, the sun seekers were 38% less likely to die than the completely non-sun seekers. But they didn't seem to completely correct for things like socioeconomic status and comorbidity, which is basically having other medical conditions. Mm-hmm. And you look at that, there was actually a significant difference in the groups. Um, those who were sunbathers tended to be better off 
um, financially. Wealthier people. Yeah, yeah, and to have, as you can probably imagine, fewer, fewer other illnesses because, mm-hmm. you know, you're not gonna, if you're sick and in bed, you're not going to be out in the sun. No. So, yeah, look, it's, the exact figure is a bit hard to work out just in the paper itself. Um, look, the, the biggest thing to note when you consider that what the headline was in this original article, posting shared, um, is that uh, when you look at things like actual malignant melanoma itself, the most active sunbathers were 50% more likely to have malignant melanoma. Right. So that is rather different to the saying that they'd busted the, the myth of a connection. Yeah, so in fact, the people who actively sought out the sun were more likely to have cancer. Yeah, they were more likely to have cancer. Yeah. They, well, this particular skin, they were more likely to have skin cancer, yeah. yeah. So there certainly was that completely um, uh, consistent with, with the study. Yeah. Uh, now, so the... Um, Okay, so all the although that vitamin D's importance in these various conditions is is uncertain, I like I said it's not it's not a definite thing. It is consistent though with the findings of this paper. Um, but really, the only conclusion you can draw here is that for this particular cohort, this is you know fair-skinned women in northern latitudes in Europe um, who basically get low levels of UV exposure naturally. Yep. Um, for them, avoiding the sun is more likely to cause problems um, than yeah than um, seeking it out. Um, so it doesn't necessarily apply to Australia. And this is when you're kind of trying to generalize these things, which is, again, where people, I guess, are sharing this around saying, oh, look, this is why um, you should not use sunscreen. This is why you should be out in the sun more. Um, the, in fact, in the study itself, they talk about guidelines. They talk about the implications for public health. And they talk about how um, – they talk about Australian guidelines. They talk about SunSmart, which we're all familiar with here. Mm-hmm. And they basically say, well, SunSmart shouldn't apply to Sweden because that was developed in a country with a lot of ultraviolet. Um, and in, th- in fact, they noted, noted that the cancer councils in um, the southern states of Australia actually do recommend some sun exposure for, to get vitamin D levels. Mm-hmm. And they're basically saying, well, so Sweden should have similar kind of attitude to that. Um, so just the fact that they say that the, the guidelines from northern Australia are not applicable to Sweden, I don't think we should be drawing conclusions from a Swedish study and saying that therefore... Um, everyone should go out and sunbathe in in Australia, where there is a lot more ultraviolet. Um, yeah, so that is it cuts both ways in that sense. Mm. Look, the other thing here, I guess, is is how do you how do you stop yourself from being being taken in by one of these these studies in the first place? Now, this one in particular, this this one's a bit different because often with these. When you see these articles, you can't find the original study. You can't read the original study. In this case, it was available freely online, and you can read the whole study. Mm-hmm. But it is quite technical. It requires you understanding how to read a, a medical paper and understanding yeah. hazard ratios and those sort of things. As I said before, though, just the name of the, the journal article itself was an indicative, I guess, of that we're not talking specifically about the link between skin cancer and, and sun exposure or sunscreen even. And um, even the article that was in the, in, the independent, in the independent didn't draw those links. Yeah. So any bit of actual kind of critical thinking and analysis of the article um, that was on Natural News originally, I think would have shown that it was not quite accurate. Uh, and it does seem to be that case of people kind of looking to any justification to, to push their particular barrow, all the things that they want to believe. In this case, you know, that everything that you're being told by um, modern medicine is wrong. It seems to be the, the, the particular barrow being pushed here. Mm. So, yeah, um, think about it, especially when someone says this one study has overturned everything that everyone has been telling you. I think it's, that's definitely a time when you should certainly look at it a bit closer and figure, is it saying exactly what that person claims it is saying? And, and quite often when, yeah, when, when people say one study has changed everything we knew about 
topic X, then yeah. you can almost always just dismiss it and pretty say that's much. pretty unlikely. And if even if there was one study that did do that, um, you know, as science, we like replication. You know, mm. someone else really needs to do the same study and see if they get the same results. That's pretty much the way that, um, yeah, good science works. You don't just believe one study because people can, scientists can get it wrong. Mm. Um, certainly, um, existing knowledge can be overturned and scientists love to overturn existing knowledge. But yeah, when you've got those, those enormous claims about one study doing it, Always, yeah, read between the lines. Read the fine print. I think we can slip, slop, slap that story out of the way. (laughs) Well, we've come to the end of another episode of Lost in Science on the Community Radio Network. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at lostinsci at gmail.com or you can leave a comment on our blog, which is lostinscience.wordpress.com. And we're also on Facebook and Twitter if you want to look for us there. Lost in Science is recorded at the studios of 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. If that's not enough information, you can tune in again next week when Chris and Stuart get Lost in Science! Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.